Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Hi, and welcome to today's episode. I have a special guest with me today on this episode of the podcast. His, his name is Frank Giampaolo. He's actually been on the show two uh, previous times, and he's an expert in tennis parenting. So this episode is definitely focused towards those of you who have children or maybe are planning on having children and you're curious about how to approach the whole learning journey with your child, a really delicate situation. But for those of you who don't have kids or it doesn't really apply to you directly, Frank has some great insights that can really be helpful to you as well. So definitely want to take a listen. Also at the end of today's episode, I'm going to have a quick announcement about the show. So if you're a regular listener, you may want to uh, check that out. All right, let's go ahead and get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. On the line with me here is tennis parenting expert, Frank Giampaolo. Frank, welcome to the show. Great to have you on the Essential Tennis Podcast. Hey, and hi, everybody. How's it going? So Frank's actually been on the show before uh, t- for two other episodes, and uh, if if you are a tennis parent, I you know Frank and I are going to be talking about a lot of topics that are vital to your success and the success of your child in today's episode of the show. But you should definitely also check out our previous conversations; those were in episode number one ninety eight and also two hundred one. So, Frank, it's really good to have you back here on the show and uh, really appreciate your, your time and your input for all my listeners that are tennis parents. Yeah, great. Great to be here. So, Frank, just to give you all a little bit of background, if you haven't heard those previous episodes, Frank travels a lot. Frank and I were actually just uh, talking before we started recording, I think you said you've only been home a couple of days per month in the last couple of months, right, Frank? Yeah, since April, I've been on the road pretty much full time, and uh, that just happened to the last. I'm coaching a lot of the ITF um, coaching groups, like Tennis Israel, Tennis New Zealand, and we're uh, we're having fun. But also here in the states, I'm 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 here all the time. So actually, right now I'm in a hotel room in Wichita, Kansas, and I'm going to. Um, Tulsa in about an hour, so we're on the road. And uh, and most of what you focus on, please correct me if I'm wrong, is is helping other coaches and helping parents who are assisting their 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 kids to kind of be the best players they can be, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's that it's that triangle approach where the coaches have to be well educated, the players obviously, but then also the parents. And if the parents are uneducated, boy, they can really unknowingly sabotage any real chance of success for a you know a super talented player. So we're really urging tennis parents to kind of basically get on the ball and and, and don't be a hobbyist. And and I guess what I mean by that a little bit is tennis is a terrific hobby. It's a great sport, and if the tennis parent wants to take it as a hobby and kind of dabble in it a little bit part-time, that's great, but they should only expect a hobbyist as a, a child. Um, the pet peeve, the thing that bugs me a little bit when I travel around the U.S. is parents take it as a hobby, 
but they get really mad when the kid doesn't win every tournament. <laughs> so it's funny, but you can't have a massive national champion as a child if the parent is just a hobbyist. So that's the dilemma we're, we're kind of facing a little bit. So the educational process is fun. Well, let me ask you this, and this is probably my my biggest question for you uh, personally, and, and I'm sure a lot of my my listeners are are wondering this as well. You know, not not every kid, I, I guess, wants to work super hard, and not every kid is incredibly driven, and you know, et cetera. So, so as parents, how should we decide exactly how how much to push our kids? Is is there too much, you know, kind of, kind of, of uh, trying to motivate our kids and get them to, to get out there and work hard and put in the necessary work? Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I, I do think that every, every kid has a different um, growth development schedule. Um, for this, the other day I had a, a 10-year-old that was pretty sure he could beat the club pro two and two. <laughs> um, but then on the other side, when I coached Sam Query when he was in his early teens, he wasn't even serious at all about tennis. Huh. He didn't even take me serious till probably 16, 17. But all those years of, you know, proper stroke development, it really paid off for Sam because once he decided to get serious and commit to the process, he already had the mechanics for, you know, all of his primary and all of his secondary strokes. I mean, he could already hit, you know, kick serves, swing volleys, slice backhands not just primary strokes, but he already had all the strokes even way before he was serious. And, uh, but I, I think that's the, one of the, the keys to success for coaches and parents is to motivate your children, but be weary of their different, you know, growth development schedules. So that's an interesting example with, uh, Sam Query that you were talking about. So, so going with that example, just one step further, so it sounds to me like his parents, by the by the time Sam had a personal, I, I guess, motivation or interest to, to really take it to the next level and work hard, it sounds like his parents had already been investing years worth of, you know, time and money and lessons and travel. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, yeah, how, so what's correct. your advice to parents? How, how do you decide how much to invest? Well, you know, I think maybe that's a, that depends too on the parents' motivation, and uh, you know, different parents have different reasons to to push their kids into the sport. And um, I mean, some parents that I talk to, they're they're just really seriously, keenly interested in a full college scholarship. So that's their mm-hmm. motivation to push the kids. So they're they want to push the kids a little bit because of that. Um, other parents never had a shot when they were young, so they want to give their kids a shot at greatness or a shot at, you know, chasing a dream kind of thing. And that's fine too. Um, I think it's all about just you know, maximizing the kid's potential. And some kids don't have a great potential. They are just going to be a hobbyist and, and that's great. And so then you would organize a developmental plan for that. So if, if I had a group of hobbyists and they go, man, I just want to play high school doubles. I want to get a little tan and that's it. Well, I would put together a weekly, you know, program that just kind of helps them with that. Um, the funny thing is when kids say that, almost always they they do pretty well, you know, at high school doubles. 
But the next year they go, man, I think I want to try to play singles. <laughs> or maybe I'm going to try some tournament. So I think their opinion changes as they do actually get strokes and get like mental and emotional skills. Mm-hmm. They get a taste of winning. And now the same kid that was happy being a hobbyist wants to take it one step farther. So it's interesting. So let's let's go ahead and kind of go that route and talk about taking it that next step from from the parents' perspective. So, so what are the most important elements for the parents once the the parent and child decide that they they kind of want to really pursue it and and work hard at, at getting better? Well, uh, a quote from Nick Volatieri is uh, the tennis parent role is is tenfold more important than a coach, and that's Nick Volatieri. Um, Hmm. Patrick McEnroe says um, high-performance tennis is really parent education. So the, the common thread is if, if, it's, if a parent wants their your child to play college ball, in this day and age, as you and I know, most of the college scholarships go to foreigners, ITF players from Europe, South America, sure. because they have massive you know, work ethic. Um Girls with the last name that ends with an, an OVA, you know, they're out there playing 30, 40 hours a week. So tennis parents here in the States, what I recommend is putting together weekly schedules that encompasses all the components. And for tennis parents that are kind of new to it, um, I urge them to use like a school methodology. So, you know, when the kids go to school, they, they go to math and science and English and social studies. Well, in tennis development, I found the same school methodology really maximizes potential quicker. So what I recommend is working on primary strokes and secondary strokes and off-court fitness. That would be another class. Um, Mental, which is the X's and O's of strategies and tactics. Uh, The emotional component, uh, different drills to close out leads, handle stress. Um, a, good, a good drill for that, by the way, everybody, is do negative scoring. So every drill you do with, with your kids, this is for coaches or parents, any drill you do, let's say you have to get 10 serves to the deuce box. Every time you get a ball in, you get a point. But every time you miss, it's minus one. And they have to keep going until they close out that game to 10. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, a lot of juniors, their minds are wandering, and they'll get to eight, then they'll go back to four, then they'll get to nine, then they'll go back down to five, and they'll get mad, and <laughs> they have to learn how to handle their emotions. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so I do kind of, a, I, I go with this idea that parents have to be like the CEO of the project. They have to help manage the project because the really good coaches are busy. Uh, you know, they have 30, 40, 60 kids every week they're seeing they're not going to be able to do A to Z, especially if you're only parent. If you're only paying the pro for, you know, four hours of clinics, you can't expect the pro to do the 500 other things that your child needs. Sure. So, yeah, it's being a manager. So should the I, I like how you kind of compared that to uh, a school, you know, education, kind of a traditional uh, education. So should the the depth and breadth breadth of that curriculum, should it? How important is it to match how much workload you're giving to the child? How important? How important is it to match that workload with, I guess, their motivation level or 
kind of ultimately what their goals are as far as, as how far they want to pursue it? Well, yeah, I think I do think it's always customized. And um, like we said before, it's, it's depending on their, their growth development schedule, which is like their, their attitude towards the game and their interest towards the game, but also their, their age and their, and their size. All those things matter. Um, but with that being said, there is a little bit of a, a formula that um, the, the parents can kind of look towards um, if they want their, ch- their children to, to be winning big tournaments. There's definitely a formula for that. As opposed to, you know, maybe just wanting to play singles at my high school or, you know, a, a lesser uh, goal, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of kids at first, they, they, they deeply want to get into a national tournament because they want the T-shirt. That's it. <laughs> and they're happy losing first round. But then after a couple of years of doing that, they don't, they don't just want the T-shirt. They want to actually see what they can do. So and now it goes a little bit deeper, and that's why you know, we wrote the Tennis Parent Bible, and um, we have all the, all the junior tennis e-books now that are available, all these workbooks for kids that are serious about it. So it sounds to me like a really important piece of the puzzle is the parent's ability to pay close attention to their child and... I guess read the 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 motivational level there, and read kind of, I guess the enjoyment level that their kid is having because I I've personally seen many times, and I'm I can only imagine how many times you've seen it that the parent kind of did have this dream that they wanted to pursue when they were a kid, but they missed out on it, and so the parent is just mercilessly pushing the child, even though the child isn't really showing any internal desire or, or motivation. Can can you speak a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I do see that occasionally still. Um, even with a player I was working with from New Zealand, I, I saw that he was a top, top, top player in the country. But um, the funny thing is, after working with that player and the parent for a week, um, they kind of reevaluated and they go, man, we were doing everything wrong. We were just handing, handing this, this girl over to coaches for six hours a day, and we thought that was fine. And, um, and, and parents, I, I, it is not most of the time. It's not. I, um, I really believe in practicing in the manner you're expecting to perform and, and practicing correctly as opposed to just, you know, the old quantity versus quality kind of issue. It's the quality of practice. It's, um, it's playing keep away, not playing catch. Um, it's all these certain versions of drills that, kind of focus on the art of winning as opposed to grinding the ball back and forth. So um, it's getting involved in a different type of training that really maximizes the potential really quick. Yeah, let's let's talk about that uh, a little bit. I'm curious what your your thoughts are on, on specific training techniques. What how does how does the focus for you, Frank, change as a child progresses and, and specifically for, for parents, you know, as parents try to help their kids and they, they try to put together, you know, a good program for them to follow. Talk to us a little bit about the progression of, I guess the, the focus tactically 
and strategically for a child as they move from kind of just starting to intermediate to maybe starting to do state or, or regional or even national level uh, tournaments? How, how does the focus shift for you? Um, okay, well, a, a good analogy is for the kids is tennis high school is fundamental strokes. Grinding forehand and back, in, back and forth down the line, then back and forth cross court, hitting to each other, um, fundamental serves, volleys. Um, then we want the kids, once they're pretty good with fundamentals, and they don't have to be perfect, but once they're pretty good, we want them to start to develop their secondary strokes, which the analogy is, I don't know if we talked about it in a previous show, is um, like a painter. A world-class painters use primary and secondary colors. Their paintings are lifelike. They make money with their paintings. And average, you know, intermediate painters only use the strip of primary colors. Hmm. Well, the same thing in tennis. If the kids are only doing primary strokes all day, every day, they, they ain't going to win. They're not going to be able to beat moon ball pushers because you need short angles, you need swing volleys. You need drop shots. You need secondary strokes to beat different styles of opponents. So um, from the tactical side, it begins with kind of developing the whole tool belt. And that's really big. So they don't just have one forehand. They have five. They have the drive, the high and heavy arc, short angle side door, drop shot lob. They have five different forehands, five different backhands three different serves, you know, flat kick slice. And even in the volley world, they have, you know, the traditional volley where you see kids all day standing right near the net and they do traditional punch volleys, but swing volleys and drop volleys, those are key if you're going to be, you know, the dreaded moon ball pusher retriever kid. So, um, you know, I hear it almost every day with parents go, well, you know, my kid's the most talented kid out there, <laughs> but he can't those pushers. Sure. And it's, because the kid has not ever developed secondary strokes and, and patterns to, you know, pull pushers out of their game. So you know, that's one for sure, I think, is uh, parents, make sure that you and the, and the coach have a meeting, pay the coach for the meeting, sit down together, and um, make sure you're kind of doing this whole school you know, methodology, develop secondary strokes. It's huge super huge for doubles and, and you know if they play college ball they're going to play doubles and singles so um and the second thing that I, mean, I just started doing this like six months ago and it's amazing but it's design the players top seven patterns but this is you know like you said it's part of the mental side and all we're doing really is going a little bit deeper and uh and even 10 year olds can do this so um a great example, I have a, um, a gal, Becca Anderson, who's maybe top five in California. Um, she's playing a, a top college girl. So she plays a 10-point tiebreaker, just with her normal game, do whatever you want to do. She loses the tiebreaker. Then we have her run only her top seven patterns. She wins the next two tiebreakers easy against the same girl. Hmm. So this is kind of like... Um, tipping point situation. So what I mean by that is um, you know, sometimes in a tournament you have your, your kids and they're playing somebody that's so bad, your kids can do anything and they'll still win. Or they'll play an opponent that's so good, they can play you know their peak performance level, but they'll still lose to that, that other player. But I'm talking about these tipping point matches that 
you know, these six three, six four, seven five. I mean, you can tip all those in your favor if you're running your top seven patterns. So, do you want me to go through that a little bit, Ian? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so for parents, um, have your child write these down. Their favorite serve pattern on the juice side. So, for example, slice serve down the teeth of the backhand and then get to the closing corner. So that's pattern one, serving pattern to the juice side. Number two, what's your favorite serve pattern? Your best go-to pattern on the ad side. Maybe it's a kick serve out wide, hit to the other corner. So that's number two. Number three is, what is your favorite court position and strategy returning a big serve? So, like, Rafa would stand 10 feet back and go high and heavy. Some kids like to be on the baseline and only match the ball speed. That's fine. That's the third top seven. The fourth is, where do you stand and what do you do off a lousy second serve? Um, five is your favorite short ball option. So when you get a short ball inside your short ball range, you have options like crush it, approach shot volley, roll a short angle ball or drop shot. We want the player to decide what's their favorite, very best short ball option. Um, so anyway, as we kind of go through these things, um, if your child, parents listening, if your child can kind of write down the top seven and then um, – Rehearse the top seven. Hmm. That's, that's really big, really big. The last, by the way, is um, I think we did seven, but the last was your favorite approach shot, the volley pattern, whether it's deep the opponent's backhand. Some girls love moon ball approach to swing volley. Um, but um, all of this is in, we have a new e-book called um, Match Day Preparation, and the top seven patterns are all in that too, but... Um, it's funny, but once you design and run those patterns like crazy, so instead of doing a lesson where the coach sees the ball right to you and you hit strokes, instead of doing a stroke lesson, do pattern lessons. Sure. And, man, that is huge. The kids are going to just have a blast, um, you know, controlling controlling the, the mega points. Hmm. So it sounds like your goal there is really just to give the child, give the student something to focus on, something, I guess, positive that they can try and control as opposed to allowing them to just kind of just hit shots without a whole lot of purpose. Yeah, they're right on. And um, have a plan. Pay attention. Um, that's a big part. I mean, a lot of times, I'm, even right now, traveling with some of the you know, super nationals coming up, we do something called um, cause of error chart. It's just a chart, and, and you would, the parents, you would use this chart. You would check off if the error is caused by um, that form or if it's inappropriate shot collection, movement spacing, or the last column is, I think, poor, poor emotions or poor focus. Um, it's amazing, though, in tournaments, shot selection is by far the leading cause of errors in fairly good-level juniors. And a lot of the kids just, they don't even spot mega points, which is, you know, game points. Sure. Um, so with parents, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit with parents. They can really help with this stuff, but reminding them to, you know, spot a big point, have a plan, run your very best pattern. Um, a good example, I, I took a couple of players to a, 
a Rafa Nadal match at Indian Wells, and I made them chart. And speaking of top seven patterns, Rafa hit uh, a slice serve out wide on the ad, followed by an inside out forehand cross court. He did the slice serve wide <laughs> pattern uh, 92% of the time in that match. <laughs> I'm not surprised. 92. <laughs> and most juniors go, I know I'm up. 40-30, but I'm going to go for that bomb down the tee right. that I made in 2011, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is a little bit of mental toughness, isn't it? Yeah, I, and, I, um, I love Rafa as that example. Yeah, he's just the poster child of find what works and just go to the well all day. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, a lot of parents and players don't realize that, but if you if you look at even like a graph, just a, a line graph, but if you win, you start at zero, but you win one point, lose a point, win a point, you're up at one. And, of course, win a point, lose a point, win a point, and now you're up at two. So if you're winning two out of three points doing a certain pattern, just do it to death and you'll win the match easy. Yeah, sure. But uh, a lot of kids don't. I've got one one more question here for you, Frank. But and and then I want to ask you about your uh, your books and your website. Um, but I, I actually posted on Facebook right before we talked and asked if anybody had any questions. And uh, Brian on Facebook wrote in with uh, a question that I, I'm curious to hear your your response to. Um, he said, "I'd be interested in in hearing what the what Frank has to say about how you or your child should deal or not deal." with other players cheating in match play, or even better, dealing with gamesmanship from other parents, or coaching in some cases, uh, I'm sorry, coaching in some cases in a foreign language from the stands, etc. Is this sort of thing even as prevalent at the, uh, I'm sorry, is this thing even as prevalent as the internet leads one to believe? So yeah, a lot of parents and a lot of kids kind of complain about these sorts of gamesmanship uh, type issues. What's your advice to, to parents on, on how to deal with this? Um, great question, and it absolutely, positively is out there, and it's it's all over every tournament, every weekend, all around the world. So, um, <laughs> all right, that, that answers the, that question. Yeah, the the solution I think lies in the idea that um, the the child has to have a preset protocol as to what he's willing to do, um, as far as challenge a call, get a linesman. Sometimes in tournaments, though, in junior tournaments, there's only one linesman for, you know, 16 courts sometimes. Right. So that becomes a little bit difficult. Um, I think that the best answer, and I'll give you the most politically correct answer first, <laughs> but the, the best answer really is to understand channel capacity. Now, so in neuroscience, channel capacity is the idea that the human brain can't problem solved with two uniquely different problems at the same time. So this is why we shouldn't text and drive. So cheaters win because of channel capacity. Hmm. Your child is on the court and their brain has left the, let's use the analogy of the TV channel. They left the channel of performance goals, top seven patterns, hit the shot, the moment demands. They left that channel. Now they're on this totally different channel of, I'm going to kill this jerk. <laughs> the, ball, the ball three feet in, he's calling it out. He's cheating me anytime I hit it close. And so now the kid's so worried about, you know, the whole drama of the hook, he's on the wrong channel. So now 
just boatloads of points are given away because his brain is in the wrong place. Sure. Well, junior players and, uh, and parents listening, I think it's important that um, get a linesman after the confrontation. Don't start playing again. Go take a bathroom break and get your head straight. Get your head back into the right TV channel of what are my top seven patterns, what's working. It's important for kids to realize that cheaters cheat because deep down they know that stroke for strokes, they can't beat you. So they have to try to dig a little bit into mental or emotional, you know, weaknesses. So if you're emotionally weak, you're going to be in the wrong TV channel and in your toast. So um, that's the correct response. Now, on the other side, interesting, I'm not going to say whether this is good or bad, but I did a workshop last summer with 24 good juniors in California and 10 kids that already won nationals. And so I put the 10 kids in front of the classroom and a, a little kid, Joey, from, from Las Vegas, Nevada, asked a question. So the, the kids in front were like a, a panel of national champions. And little Joey goes, did you ever have to cheat back in a match to win? And all 10, I was really surprised. All 10 said, yes. Wow. Absolutely. If the linesman leaves, you either become an enabler and you let them have the match or you fight fire with fire. And I think five or six of those national champions even said, they go, we don't like doing it, but when we do have to cheat back, the other guy just folds like a tent and quits. He's pretty much done because huh. he knew it was his only shot. So from my side, I don't encourage cheating, but also I don't encourage being an enabler in life hmm. and letting people do that to you. So hope that answers the question. That's that's an incredibly honest uh, response, Frank. <laughs> uh, but but it sounds like it's just the reality of the matter. So it's um, obviously a, a tough situation. It is, and, I, and again, I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just stating what these specific ten national champs said. So hmm. I think it's up to the parents to decide their moral compass and sure. what they're willing to do and not willing to do. But uh, well, I got to tell you, it's tough though when parents are, you know, flying from Michigan to Florida, you know, for a huge tournament, and the kid loses because he's being hooked out of the match. Um, it, it's a pretty tough drive home, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only I haven't been there yet, but uh, but I, as a former competitor, I can I can put myself in that in that position mentally. Did you see some we used to play too? Just the uh, the creative line callers out there. Um, I never seem to have much trouble with that personally, but uh, one of my teammates in college, for whatever reason, his personality just seemed to attract uh, you know these these kinds of opponents. And um, I once saw I once saw him deal with it by, I mean he he got pretty clearly hooked on a big point, and on the very next point. Uh, he put his serve in play. The opponent hit a return literally in the middle of the court and my teammate called it out. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, in, the, in the middle of the court. <laughs> and uh, it kind of basically just kind of like what you said, Frank. I mean, that basically leveled the match from there on out. I mean, his opponent couldn't believe it. And then from there on out, it was pretty much a clean, 
a clean match. I mean, so yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. And I can also, I really appreciate the fact that you said, you know, it's kind of an individual, individual decision and something parents probably, yeah, should be discussing with their kids, you know, from an ethical standpoint, et cetera. Um, but I also appreciate the fact that you're honest, honest enough to say that sometimes it's, it's just so out of hand that you have to show that you're not going to just roll over and, and let it happen, I guess. Yeah, man, it's, it's the sad truth about, you know, tennis without linesmen on every court. And so, but again, you know, you do, you get a lot of life lessons out of that. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Frank, um, but before we close up here, I, w- I want to give you a chance to talk about your books. I, I went on Amazon and did a quick search. Um, it looks like you have seven different books on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah, we're um, we're having a lot of fun. We we, we put out the Tennis Parent Bible um, a little over a year ago, I guess, and uh, it, it's amazing how it's just really taken off. I mean. I mean, a good example, I'm, I'm here in Wichita, Kansas, because um, a high-performance coach in Brazil bought the book. He told a friend who was a high-performance coach in Israel about the book. The Israel coach told the parent in Wichita, <laughs> and so now I'm here. But anyway, um, the funny thing is after you know putting up the Tennis Parent Bible, I've been getting so many requests. The parents are like, this is great, but my kid needs to read about this too. Um, and so we put together a series of workbooks for juniors. Cool. Um, match day preparation and a blunders and cures book, like all the common blunders that they're, all the kids are have to kind of pass through and match chart collection. But uh, anyways, we have some, you know, ebooks out there. Um, the best way to pick up a book though is if your listeners can go to the, the website, my website, tennisparentsolutions.com. Um, we're going to kind of offer all of your listeners two free eBooks when they purchase the tennis parent Bible. So nice. Yeah. They're going to get the, uh, how to attract the college scholarship eBook and the match chart collection. That eBook, um, will be sent for free also. So yeah, tennisparentsolutions.com is the site. Um, of course you can get them on, on Amazon as well. Um, but yeah, we're having a lot of fun with that, and 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 my publisher, Human Connects, they always bug me. I have to I have to keep on mentioning the championship tennis book that I was just released this year on Human Kinetics, and that was uh, number two on Amazon's bestseller list. So nice. That's doing well. Yeah. So the uh, the two free ebook offer. Uh, do listeners need like a promotional code or anything, or how does that work? Well, if they go to tennisparentsolutions.com. Um, they'll see there's a, there's going to be a link right under um, the transparent Bible, and they'll just follow that link and uh, and click on it, and so then they'll they'll receive three books right to their email. Okay, great. Uh, so again, that was tennisparentsolutions.com. Um, Frank, any other uh, final thoughts or um, anything else before we sign off here? No. Um, I guess the only thing is the Tennis Parent Solutions site is actually a free blog site, and there's years of free instructional articles on it. So, I want you listeners, I want you to feel free. You don't have to buy anything. You can go on the on that website and and just check out all the free articles as, as well. Okay, great. Well, I definitely encourage everybody listening to go uh, check it out. 
Frank, thanks for the uh, the offer uh, for the uh, the two free uh, ebooks. Really appreciate that very much. And it's been great having you back on the show. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. And I know that the the parents in my audience and even those who don't have kids yet, I know this is going to be a really informative interview with you. So thank you so much. We all really appreciate it very much. Yeah, thank you. All right, best of luck. Talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. All right, that does it for episode number 224 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I've got a quick announcement here that is basically going to be about the future of the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you've been a long-time listener, then I really, really appreciate your support over the years. It's been six years now since I did the first episode of the show. Now we're at 224, which is which is amazing to me. And over the last two or three years, those of you who have been listening for a long time, <clears throat> excuse me, you know that I've dropped off quite a lot, and I've kind of kicked myself in the butt and and kind of gotten myself back on the horse a couple of times as far as getting new episodes out. But it keeps getting harder and harder, and that's because essential tennis keeps growing bigger and bigger. And video is always what people want the most. And it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate my podcast listeners. I do. It was the first piece of content that I ever published for Essential Tennis. And uh, I I still do. I really do enjoy doing it. But the fact of the matter is I need to spend my time on the things that really give the biggest result, not just for the business, but also for you know, the tennis community uh, at large. And video is, is, you know, at the end of the day, it's what does that. So long story short, I'll be doing more time on video and that's going to be the case moving forward. But I'm not going to stop the podcast. I'm just going to change the format. And basically what I'm going to be doing is taking the audio from a new series of videos that I've started creating on YouTube called Ask Ian. It's basically the same kind of format that I've been doing with the podcast all these years, but in a video format where people write in with questions, I answer them, and I'm going to be taking the the audio from those episodes and having them become audio episodes as well, so podcast episodes. So the changes are going to be, first of all, I'll be using a different microphone, so you're not going to get the the high level, I, I've worked really hard over the years to make uh, this audio sound amazing, and I hope you've appreciated that. Uh, the audio is not going to sound quite the same. It's still going to be good, but it's not going to be pro-sounding uh, audio. Um, it's going to be much shorter format. Most episodes are probably just going to be four or five minutes, maybe six or seven, uh, kind of at the longer end. So a little bit shorter format than what I've been doing recently. And it's going to be every week. I promise you it's going to be every week. Once I get things rolling and my assistant starts publishing and we kind of get everything automated, uh, the new audio episodes are going to start hitting the podcast feed weekly. So it's going to be very, very regular. So hopefully the frequency and kind of it's going to be much more to the point. It's not going to be as long and uh, drawn out. So uh, hopefully you enjoy that and you, you enjoy the fact that it's going to be weekly uh, once it gets rolling, which is probably going to be in the next week or week or so. And yeah, 
that's it. So I, I'm not going to just stop the show altogether. In fact, I'm going to start publishing more often, but it's going to be a little bit different format and um, audio po pulled from that video um, show. So I hope that you enjoy it. If you have any feedback for me, any comments or questions, you can always feel free to contact me directly at ian at essentialtennis.com. And as always, thank you so much for your support, especially if you've been a listener of the podcast for, for many years now. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I hope that moving forward, these shorter format shows uh, serve you well and uh, help you continue to improve. So with that, thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll be talking to you again very soon on the Essential Tennis Podcast. Until then, take care and good luck with your tennis.